Before we get started, we wanted to tell you the final episode of Man in the Arena is here exclusively on ESPN Plus, which means all episodes are now streaming. Man in the Arena, Tom Brady, 22 seasons and 10 Super Bowl appearances. Tom Brady, like you've never heard him, featuring Tom Brady's three sisters, Giselle, Tom Brady Sr., Gronk and Michael Strahan, plus more. All episodes now streaming on ESPN Plus presented by Under Armour. Three times a week, The Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games. Plus, we have a community of friends, including Dominique Foxworth for Foxworth Fridays. That's The Right Time with Bomani Jones, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and Wednesdays and Fridays podcasts are also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. Guys, welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my man, Ryan Clark and RC. Another week, another week of fights, but not only fights in the octagon. They had fights mm-hmm. in the boxing ring. A tremendous weekend of fights, and we will dig into it a lot on this show because we're going to talk to Michael Chandler. He'll talk mm-hmm. about his upcoming fight. We'll talk to John Anik. But we are joined by the great Teddy Atlas after watching what Tyson Fury did to Dillian White. We needed his brain to talk about Tyson Fury, his standing in in boxing today and in historical terms, because I think that is where we are starting to get with Tyson Fury. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be exciting to have Teddy on. Obviously, anytime we have MC, it's amazing. And also, when we get with J.A. and we start to recap some of these great fight nights and the best moments of them, that's going to be dope because we know he's a wealth of knowledge and one of the best in the game. But we did have a fight night uh, this weekend, D.C., and we got to see Jessica Andrade, who needed a win, who needed an impressive performance, get the finish in a submission. When you look back on what she was able to accomplish in the main event, how impressed were you with the finish early on in that fight? You know what I told Jessica Andrade in the octagon afterwards? Uh, I said, you sure do know how to make an impression when you go into a new weight class. Because if you remember, yeah. when she went up to 125, she beat Caitlin Chukagian, who was the number mm-hmm. one ranked fighter at the time with a body shot. And then to go to back down to 115 and submit Amanda Lemos, first time we've seen that inside the octagon with a standing arm triangle. Bro, it's unreal to see her, especially at her stature. She's 5'1". She's short, and honestly, she was getting picked apart by Amanda Limos. Yeah. She got close, got into the arm triangle, and then I was like, wow, it looks like it's getting pretty tight. With the standing uh, choke, Limos started to gurgle. She started to panic a little bit, and ultimately, she got the submission. It's exactly what Andrade needed as she reintroducing her introduces herself into a weight class where she was once champion. She did yeah. it impressively, as she has done on so many occasions, and now she is really starting to uh, put her name amongst a lot of the greats in terms of the record book uh, yeah. in the UFC. DC, I think, you know, for me, it's one of those things. I like watching fighters do what they have to do to win. You mentioned that Limos was picking her apart a little bit on the feet, even though it was early. But her understanding of understand of knowing I got to get it to the clinch. I got to make this mm-hmm. a dirty fight and then taking advantage of an opportunity that presented itself was huge to me. And I even asked you, I was like, DC, like that submission, how often do you see it? How difficult is it to land? And to kind of hear, you know, your description of it, to hear you talk about it, it kind of lets me know 
that that's not something that we see a ton of in the fight game, especially from someone of her stature, of her size. What does that win do for her going forward? It puts her right back in the conversation. You know, Rose Namajunas is fighting against Carla Esparza for the championship. Mm -hmm. Rose Namajunas becoming the champion was great for Jessica Andrade and honestly motivation for her to go back to 115. Because if you remember, She's she won. slammed Rose she on her head to become champ. Then mm -hmm. she lost a very, very close fight against Rose in the rematch on Fight Island. So seeing her become the champ, she goes, wait a minute. If I go down there and I fight well, if I do something spectacular, maybe I find myself back in there with Rose Namajunas, especially RC, as you have Zhang Weili fighting Joanna and Jacek again. Two women. Rose have beaten twice apiece, fighting Carla Esparza, uh, that she, in, in a rematch of their first fight when Carla beat her, they were very young to become champion. So Andrade now, immediately we'll see her name ranked amongst the best in the division with that type of performance over Amanda Limoche. Look, she's as physical a fighter that we have seen in the female division, especially in the smaller weight classes, and still proves that she is so viable as a challenger to whoever is holding the championship. So massive moment for the, champ, uh, the former champ, uh, Jessica mm -hmm. Andrade, and I'm interested to see what the UFC does with her as she is in one person that's not, I, if I'm Marina Rodriguez, I'm going, nope, I'm not fighting her. I'm waiting for my title shot. I am yeah. not fighting her and giving her an opportunity to uh, take my chance, which seems to be Rodriguez's next um, after uh, Rose fights Carla. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at, at that weight class, having Rose win the, the title has kind of sparked some, some great things, right? We'll get to see Joanna back in the octagon in one of the great rematches of, of that weight class. It, it's probably in the UFC for women as a whole. But let's talk about boxing and let's talk about a bigger weight class and probably the baddest man in the ring in Tyson Fury got an opportunity to defend his title against Dillian White. And he finished in impressive fashion. And when you finish like that in boxing, there's only one man that can really wrap a bow, a bow around him, and that's Teddy Atlas. So we're going to go one round with Mr. Atlas right now. All right, guys. Every week we are joined by special people on the show. We go one round with great minds from the sport, mixed martial arts. But now we're getting joined by one of the greatest minds in boxing history. I'm honored to welcome the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, thank you for taking a few moments to talk to us, my man. My pleasure to be with you. You're good people. I'm here. Thank Man, you, great Teddy. to have you, brother. Thank so, you. Teddy, Teddy, last weekend, we had fights in the octagon, but we had a massive fight. Wembley Stadium, Dillian White fought Tyson Fury. And once again, Tyson Fury goes out there and delivers. A guy that truly understands the game, right? The pageantry, the, 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 the fact that you have to entertain. His walk took 10 minutes. He had Dillian White out there <laughs> 15 minutes waiting for him to fight, but then he knocks him out. But my question is not about Tyson Fury in that fight, Teddy. I want to know if we are watching one of the greatest punchers and greatest heavyweights of all time every time T Tyson Fury steps inside that ring. You know what? Not the greatest puncher of all time. He caught him a perfect punch. He didn't see it. He dropped the eye level. Brilliant. Brilliantly set up. I mean, part of being a good puncher is having a good delivery system, you know, to get the bomb to the target to do damage, so to speak. And he did that. He did it by using a jab to keep his eye level here. And then all of a sudden, what does he choose? He chooses the right punch, the uppercut from below, where the eye level is still up top. 
guess what? DC, it's not good if your eye level's up top and the punch is coming from below. <laughs> it's not good for you. And he, he catches him, knocks him out cold because he never saw the punch coming. Those are the punches that do the most damage. Sensational ending. Um, not, not a scintillating fight before that, but a real good technical exhibition by Tyson Fury. How to fight big. How to fight tall. Not everyone knows how to do that. You know, mm. you can be given those God-given assets of height and length, but you got to know how to use them. He knows how to use them. He controlled the outside. He used his jab uh, to set the table all night, and then he went to eat with the right hand. So you're watching right now. Tyson Fury is the best technical fighter and mentally the most together, too. Uh, to get off the floor the way he did with Wilder, not only to show that shin, but to show that togetherness that he didn't fall apart. He got off the floor twice in the first fight. He got off the floor twice in the last fight with Wilder. To show that in-ring character, to be able to do that. And with his size, again, his technical ability, his diversity, where he's so dimensional, he can go get you, he can box this time was a different dimension. A lot of people didn't realize that. They thought he was just boxing again, but not the way he did before, where he wheeled around like he was on a motor scooter, you know, around the way. <laughs> no, this time was different. He did it the way I thought he should do it from the beginning. Another dimension where he controlled range, where he set his feet on the canvas and where he kept you on the outside. You came in six inches, he went back 12 and he kept that difference. He kept that space where you were always at a disadvantage and he was set to punch. When he was moving around the ring, he wasn't set to punch. And that's why he got caught with water twice and got dropped with water twice in their first fight. But he corrected that. He evolved. He keeps showing more dimensions to himself. And he's a genius promoter. I mean, dare I, oh man, it's hard to do this, but dare I mention Muhammad Ali, the greatest, mm. the greatest, I mean, as far as he's up there in that level, not, not in the fighting, the body of fighting yet. He hasn't had that longevity. But as far as a promoter, as far as getting your attention, as far as being remembered, oh, my goodness. He's got the package. He's got hey, the Teddy, package. Teddy, you know, you mentioned a lot of those things in the, the, the trilogy with Deontay Wilder and how he evolved and adapted to beat Dillian White. and. You know, boxing kind of go goes by era. And for our era, Tyson Fury is the best heavyweight of our time. What is Tyson Fury's place in boxing history amongst some of the greats? Now, you're talking about Muhammad Ali. You're talking about Joe Lewis. You're talking about Jack Johnson. You're talking about Rocky Marciano. Um, you're, you're talking about uh, some really, really special, special fighters there. That, as I said, had the longevity. Did it, you know, did it with the best fighters around. Hey, listen, you can only do it with the fighters of your era. Has mm -hmm. he been around? Has, if, if Tyson Fury was a farmer, I'd say that he was around when the soil was good to produce a crop. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, he, where, where you could produce good corn. Because he's around where, at this time, with the selection of heavyweights that are out there, it's a good time. It's a good time to be around. And again, you can only do what you can do in your, in your time. But 
he's not around in the most difficult time. He mm-hmm. the best fighter he beat was Wilder. Wada had him on the floor. Wada's a tremendous natural puncher, but he's not a great fighter. I right. mean, you know, he, he he does a lot of things wrong. You wouldn't want to dance with that guy. He'd step all over your feet. Um, so, <laughs> uh, really. And you wouldn't want to be a referee in the ring with Wada because he might hit you before he hits the opponent because <laughs> everything is coming from left to right. But one thing he can do that I always talk about, he can punch. You know, punches are born. They are not made. So I, at this time, to put him up there, you know, with a Joe Lewis and an Ali and a George Foreman uh, and a Jack Johnson, Rocky Marciano, I, that's difficult. The greatest British heavyweight of all time? Go ahead. Go ahead mm-hmm. already. And it's yeah. fast. He's got yeah. 30-something fights. It's fast. But, and, and the thing that he's, his story, his legacy, you know, it's more than just in the ring. This is a guy who a few years ago was suicidal. He's very honest about it. He was going through substance abuse problems, alcohol problems, deep depression, and he came back from the brink. No human being should be at the point where they're thinking about giving up the greatest gift that we could ever have, life. Mm-hmm. Nobody should be in that position. He was, and he overcame that. Mm-hmm. And he's a lesson to me. His greatest gift is not his jab. It's not his right hand. It's his ability to teach people, to yeah. tell people it's never too late. Don't give up. Teddy, you can you, come back. Oh, sorry. Teddy, you talked about Deontay Wilder being a fantastic puncher. And you said punchers are born. One guy that is an absolute monster of a puncher, at least inside the UFC's octagon, is Francis Ngannou. And he was in the ring last week with Tyson Fury. Hats off to Tyson Fury for sharing that moment with Francis, our UFC champion, uh, in really giving him the rub, elevating him, putting him on the level that Francis has never been on before. But with that being said, Teddy, we watched what he did to Deontay Wilder, one of the greatest punchers that we've seen in a long time. We saw what he did to Dillian White, world champion boxers. When you look at Francis and you look at Tyson, especially with hybrid gloves, and all this other stuff that they're talking about. How does Francis fight a Tyson Fury, Teddy? It seems as though it is an absolute mismatch, regardless yeah. of how good Francis is inside the octagon. Because like you said, Tyson Fury does things to the blind eye that no one even recognizes. You gave me a masterclass in what Tyson Fury was doing in that ring on Saturday that I missed. How does mm. Francis Ngannou tackle that? Get the rules, some of the rules. Stop the, stop the baloney. Really, stop the promotional baloney. And I, and I know it's not going to stop. I get it. But it's about making money. And you didn't have to be the Mason Kreskin to know this fight was coming. <laughs> you really <laughs> didn't. Because it's about this. It's about this stuff. And it, it's going to be huge. There's a reason why Marvel DC... Um, continues to make Spider-Man movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. It, yeah. there's a really... Because the people's imagination, they want superheroes. They want monster movies. You know, Apollo Creed, uh, when, when in the first Rocky movie, when he was getting ready to fight Sylvester Stallone, he goes, Apollo Creed versus the Italian stallion. It's a goddamn monster movie. <laughs> and, and monster movies sell. This is a monster movie. That's all you got to know. 
as far as being a, a fair athletic venture, no, it's not. And you know what? My sport is boxing, almost 50 years. And I love your sport. And I have all the respect in the world. And it continues to grow and grow and grow when I understand what you men are um, more and more. And the cold that you have and that you live by and you take into that octagon, just like my guys do into that squared circle, the chamber of truth, where you do find out the truth. But it's it's not fair when you say, well, we're going to find who's the best. You know, it's an age old question. Who's the best? Is it the is it the MMA guy or is it the boxer? Until you make the rules where the MMA guy can use all of his skills, mm. all of his tools. It's not yep. fair. And that's my sport. And I'm being honest about it. It's not fair to say, oh, the boxer is the better. Why? Because he's allowed to use his skills and the other guy can't use all of his. Yeah. Forget about the smaller gloves. You know, that's not what's going to be the difference because, quite frankly, as much as I love Francis, he might not hit Fury. That's Small gloves or mm -hmm. bad. We're talking truth here. He yeah. might not hit him before he gets hit. Because he is not in his realm. He is mm. in the other guy's realm. I know he's strong as hell. I get it. But Tustamato, my great, great mentor, he used to say to me, Teddy, and I touched on it earlier. He used to say, listen, power only means something if you have a means to get it to the target. It's like a military weapon. Unless you have a missile to attach it to, to get it to the target, all it's going to do is blow up and make a big hole in the ground. And then when it rains, you go swimming. Yeah, that's, that, that's how he <laughs> yeah. got it through my head. He goes, the power yeah. don't mean nothing. It means something to the writers, and it means something to the fans that are going to come out. But unless you have a way of getting it to the target, in this case, the chin of Tyson Fury, who's six foot nine, even though Francis is huge at 6'5", he's 6'9", and he's a boxer for his whole life. Unless you can do that, it, it does, it, it's just another way to promote a fight. Because, well, because it's going to be White, very right? difficult Dillian White's world champ. Dillian yeah. White's world champ. I mean, uh, Deontay Wilder's world champ, Olympic bronze medalist. Like, and Tyson is wiping these dudes out. So, uh, to your point. Again, unless someone tells me, Teddy, guess what? They just changed the rules. He's allowed to take them to the mat. Okay, <laughs> I'm in. I'm, yeah. in. I'm, I'm saying, my goodness, this is going to be very interesting. But right. if it's going to be just the boxer's rules versus the big, strong MMA guy, terrific man, does things for his people in Cameroon, I love him. But if it's just going to be that, then you know what? It's probably not going to be as competitive as they're going to try to sell it to be. You know, you got to right. remember Conor McGregor and, and Mayweather was more competitive than people thought. I, matter of fact, I had Conor McGregor winning the first four rounds. I had him ahead. Wow. In the first four. Yeah, I wow. did. Uh, being Don't honest. say that in front of Ryan Clark, man. Don't well, say the man that. Got hands, dog. Dog. The man got hands. <laughs> but no, no. But listen, here, here's the thing. First of all, the part that was left out was Mayweather was 40 years old and hadn't fought for two and a half years. Okay? That means something. And yeah. one other thing. Mayweather is one of the greatest counterpunchers, defensive wizards you're ever going to see. He's, when a guy comes to him, he takes him apart. Guess what? Conor McGregor had long arms. He was a southpaw. He had a long reach. He wasn't going to him. 
He was staying out on the outside. So that when you're on the outside using a long jab, there's nothing for the counter punch to counter. See, that's the thing. So it took a while for Mayweather to say, oh, shoot, my counter punching stuff ain't working here. You know what? I got to do something that's not common for me. I got to go get him. Yeah. And then when he started to go get him, to mm-hmm. RC's point, when he started to go get him, he got him. He yep. broke him down. And then, yep. of course, you could see, oh, my goodness, this, <laughs> this isn't really a contest anymore. But yeah. those were the ingredients. Those were the elements that were going on to make it the way it was. But again, getting back to Francis, um, you know, he's a very talented guy. He's a great guy. He's been on my podcast twice. I even worked with him in the gym in, mm-hmm. in um, Vegas. I trained him for a day. He had asked me to train him for a day. And all I saw was just phenomenal athleticism uh, for a guy that big, obviously. Mm-hmm. But cerebralness. I saw a really smart guy. I mean, a um, guy that he, he learned like that. I was showing him a few things. And bang, he was picking. I was like, wow. My goodness, this guy ain't just big. He's dead. He's, he's smart. No, really. Yeah. And, and one other thing, that athleticism I saw, like the kicks, I, I don't see guys 6'5", 260 pounds of solid muscle draw a kick uh, where they could hit you in the head without losing their balance. But guess what? Yeah. He ain't going to be throwing a kick when he fights Fury. <laughs> That's a right. problem. You're right. Right. You're right, Teddy. Teddy, you know what's so crazy? You brought up the uh, Apollo Creed thing. When you talked about this fight, it almost made it seem like when Rocky fought Hulk Hogan, you know, that Hulk Hogan was like a big wrestler and trying to do all those things. And then Rocky had to tap in to some different things. So it would be cool if we could finally see a UFC fighter or mixed martial artist use all of his tools against a a boxer. But thank you so much. This is an absolute At least let him have one round where he can pick him up. (laughs) absolutely (laughs) absolutely this is a master class man in combat sports we thank you so much for your expertise for your energy but more importantly your time man we can't wait to see you soon and hopefully we get to wrap with you a little bit when they finally make this fight happen appreciate you thank you so much nice to see you my friend thank you thank both of you guys not only for being experts in your field which obviously you are knowing how to speak very well but most importantly being two really good human beings thank you man thank you you so much have a great day have a great one brother rc listen so, dude, bro, that was a masterclass, though, dog. He's as smart as they come in terms of boxing and combat sports, man. Yeah. I love him. I love some of the analogies he uses to dictate uh, and to, uh, talk about um, fight sports. He's, mm-hmm. he's second to none. Dude has such a wealth of knowledge, right? And he, he gives it to you. But let's go back to last weekend. Francis goes outside inside the ring. Dude, I love that Tyson Fury was willing to share in that moment with Nganu because Nganu's star shines brighter today than it ever has because of that moment. Now, I am all in on Francis getting the payday. I want to see Francis make 10, 20 million, 30, 40 million dollars. Why not? That's my brother. But as Teddy said, in the competitive fight, it makes it very difficult. Now, let me tell you one last thing, RC, before I give you this. The one thing that I wish, right, for mm-hmm. Francis, you go in there in Wembley. You're with Tyson Fury. The pageantry, the 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 electricity in the arena. You gotta look like a million dollars. 
You gotta look like a million dollars. I understand. I, I he had a that. fight though, DC. No, he had bro. a fight. No, but RC, you go if Can if Canelo ever speaks Kamara Usman's name, when Kamara Usman will step inside that ring, he is going to look like a million bucks. He will have on a fantastic suit. He'll be wearing. He'll jump fly like you say. Dude, Francis, I don't know if the gym sponsors brought in there, but you can't wear a T-shirt. He should have been dressed like an African prince, walked in there with Tyson Fury, and it would have just, the project, it would have been, it would projected well on TV, but still a massive moment for the champ. Yeah, I think, I think that's where sports are now. And, you know, I think UFC continues to show why we should recognize these athletes as world-class athletes and even almost get out of the realm of continuing to say fighter. Because they're world-class athletes. And now that the UFC and the boxing have come together in the way that they have, they're also understanding the marketing power. And, you know, you, you hate to, to, to say this and, and start giving all these people the credit, but the Mayweather-McGregor thing was actually the, great, the greatest introduction boxing versus mixed martial arts could have had. Yep. Because you had two of the greatest... Um, promoters and marketers in their own realms and so to get that and now have a guy like Tyson Fury I think we can't necessarily expect Francis to bring that energy but what will be interesting is is not if Francis Ngannou can hit Tyson Fury more so what happens when he hits him I think that's the thing that we have to think about but that's the but, but here's the thing RC like I, I, oh God, I love this because I, again, I am all in on him making the money. I am all in on him stepping outside of his comfort zone. But what if he hits him? We, we saw what Deontay Wilder did to him. He almost decapitated him and he got up. He yeah. got up. So it's like this guy has seen the power that Francis will bring inside of the ring to him. Francis will have to do different things. Look. Demetrius Johnson fought a fight just very recently, one of the greatest mixed martial arts of all time, where he fought kickboxing against one of the craziest kickboxing champions of all time. First round was kickboxing. He somehow made it through round one. Second round started, it was MMA. Fight was over in 30 seconds. Right. It has to be something like that to make it more competitive. Because if not, it is about, it is about Francis going to make a boatload of money against Tyson Fury, the greatest boxer we have seen for a really long time, but he will get beat. So here's my question Tyson for you, Fury's DC. Crazy. Here's my yep. question for you, DC. If you yep, see yep. it as such, as such a mismatch, it doesn't necessarily seem like a win for the UFC. If it, Francis decides to make this move, right, and go get this money, which is individual for Francis, because we don't necessarily really. think it would be a great fight, should Dana strip Francis of the title and now we make Miocic John Jones mm. for the title and no. we get to see them reign as champ. No, because reality is Francis still has a while to recover. So this fight ain't happening right now. I think it's a win for the UFC. I think having Francis and Ganu fight on that stage, Ryan, because imagine they do this in front of another 100,000 and all the UFC fans are paying attention to watch it. But then you have your heavyweight champion standing across from the greatest heavyweight in a long time in a rule set that doesn't benefit him. The star mm. power Francis brings back when he comes back to the octagon will truly raise who he is within our sport, right? So I think it's a massive win for the UFC to work with Francis to make this happen as they did with Conor McGregor when he fought Floyd Mayweather. Well, I'm going to say this, man. I'm, I'm excited about it. I want to see it. 
I don't care if he walks in there as a UFC heavyweight champ or not. It's something I'll pay attention to. And when he gets back in the octagon, I'll be locked in. But let me tell you who's been around for a lot of these UFC fights and will be there in the future. It's the only colleague that I will let you say you love more than me. And that's <laughs> and we're going to have a little fun with him. All right, guys. Now we are joined by my boy, you know, TPC, Arizona. Me and this dude going to be on the link. So if you see us, hey, what's up? <laughs> John Annick joins DC and RC right now to run down some of the greatest moments that we have had in the first 100 events, uh, 100 fight nights on ESPN to this point. J.A., my man, what's going on? It's great to be with you guys. And I got to say, as somebody who was in Bristol, Connecticut, a long time ago, right from 05 to 2011, when the UFC aligned with ESPN in 2019, that January night was one of the greatest nights of my professional life because candidly, 06, 07, when I was in that building, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. So I'm thankful mm. that this is the the real, the reality, but I didn't think it was going to happen. Yeah, it happened and it's, it's going great. And we love it, right? Because Apex on the road, Columbus, it does not matter. The fights deliver and it has been great on ESPN. Um, John, so what we're going to do here is we're going to look at some of these events, right? And People love the knockout. We see them every single time the octagon sets wherever it is. One of your, your sayings is, the octagon arrives. And so, you know, like you say stuff like that. You <laughs> stuff that you, dude, he, Ryan, he doesn't write any of this. Like, he actually is remembering all this at the top of every show. It's the most insane process. Well, the thing, because the thing seen. is this, though, DC, the way that you fought and the way that we played football, that's the way J.A. Yes. does this. Like, this yes. is natural for him, bro. This yeah, is dude. this is what he was made to do. And every time you get an opportunity to hear him, at least from my perspective now, being in the business, you actually have to marvel at his understanding of the history and his knowledge of the history, but also his ability to improv. Because yep, what absolutely. you guys are dealing with happened so fast. And then he can say, it's like the fight from 2012 with oh. such <laughs> and such. I'd be like, huh? And I, you know. So I got to break out the phone and start Googling. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that fight. So, yeah, yeah he's amazing, bro. <laughs> John, let's look at some of these performances. People love the knockout. So of all the times that we have been on ESPN to this point, what is one knockout that stands out to you among so many that have happened inside the octagon? Well, you know as well as anyone, our guy, New Mansa, Joaquin Buckley, can be <laughs> of the sensitive variety. So I have to begin the conversation by acknowledging what Joaquin Buckley did, obviously, against Impakasang. And I, we got to start there. One of the most viral, greatest knockouts in UFC history, even though neither you nor I was in the building, I don't believe. For me, though, in terms of the fights that I called, I think it was September of 2020, Hamza Chimaev against Gerald Murchart. The fight was essentially over before it began. I know absolutely, and I are clearly aligned here. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And perhaps I shouldn't have been so surprised at the brevity of that fight. But Gerald Murchard was a credentialed middleweight uh, and man did that fight end quickly. So of all the knockouts in this ESPN relationship, that's the one that jumps off the film for me. RC? No, I'm with him. I'm with, I mean, you know, I, I was all uh, Chmaev when we were going into Burns and you was like, RC, you drank the Kool-Aid. RC, <laughs> you were you were all in. But this was a part of it. If you remember when that fight started, listen, I made a living backpedaling. I know what backpedaling <laughs> looks like. For 16 seconds, he backpedaled. And then when they finally got up against the cage, that one straight right, and it was over. And yeah, to be able to see something like that, especially when I was at home, one of those dudes who wanted to be like, all right, this dude ain't real. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, 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 like this type of dominance. 
doesn't last. And you remember at that time, that's when he was trying to fight like every week. And he was yeah, like, I'll yep, jump yep. up to 185. I fight at 170. And for him to be able to do that, man, when at the time we couldn't go anywhere. So yeah. UFC fight nights were honestly like keeping us alive from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, that's yeah. one I will never forget that is imprinted yep. on my brain. Yep, that was a great knockout. But for me, dude, Corey Sanhagen, Frankie Edgar, I, I mean, we were sitting there. And when it happened, it was not only the way that it was set up, right? Because you knew Frankie would go forward. Sanhagen had a great idea where he would be through that jumping knee, knocked mm. him off flat. And then the, the aftermath where Frankie's yeah, on the so ground, scary. everybody's rushing to jail. It was, it was scary, but it showed you how massive a moment that was because we it was quiet in the apex. Remember, John? You could, you could hear a pin drop in there, and that isn't normally the case uh, during these fights. J.A., submission. So you could go in a lot of different directions here. I mean, shout out to the man, Tommy Aspinall. You know, I'm going to go back to 2019. I mean, you guys made me work for it today, by the way, going back to 2019. <laughs> but how about Jack Hermanson? When he submitted David Branch, mm. that was part of that great middleweight run for Jack Hermanson. And I don't have to tell a lot of this audience that David Branch is a credentialed Henzo Gracie Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. So that seemed a surprising result to me. And, you know, I know Hermanson is kind of the forgotten man now at 85. He's been a little bit up and down since, but I remember that night and that result and thinking Jack Hermanson's a real problem getting this win over David Branch. So shout out to Jack Hermanson. He gets the hardware for me. My man, John Anning. RC. Yeah, like, like for me, it's going to be Mackenzie Dern because this is when Mackenzie Dern kind of stepped in against Hannah, Hannah Cypress. And, you know, I felt that all the things I was hearing could be true, that, that we could be into a place where we were seeing some, some Damian Maya type movement from a jiu-jitsu artist where you didn't necessarily have to be great at a, a lot of the other skills and could still win and could win big and get people behind you. And I think, honestly, it's, it's, it's submissions like that that have carried her that get her to win, you know, her last fight against Tisha Torres. And we're still excited because we feel like, okay, in a fight where she couldn't necessarily get the fight to the ground, all three rounds, she was able to win. So now it keeps it keeps her in contention to get a championship shot where we know if she could get the fight in her realm that she could be champion. So I would think that's the one that sticks out to me. Yeah, me too, Ryan. You know, for all those reasons that you just said, uh, but it was Mackenzie Dern uh, getting to the knee bar. Like, you mm -hmm. don't see it very often uh, in any division, uh, much less in the female division. So it's We saw it this weekend, D.C.? Well, we did, but it spoke to the specialist <laughs> that she is, right? Considering yeah. that it was a girl. And, you know, we don't we don't really see knee bars as often. Um, and the kid that did it last pull, yes, Claudio Pool, yes, stirred one. It's only the first nobody's done that. And there was a time mm -hmm. where Rusumar Poharis fought in the USC. That's all he actually did, and mm -hmm. he hadn't gotten three. So uh I'm gonna agree with you. Knee bar by Mackenzie Dern uh, is my submission. John Anna, give me the best fight that you have seen across 100 fight nights? Gosh, again, it's a really hard exercise, especially when Max Holloway and Calvin Cater, even though it was on ABC, actually qualifies on our list because I have said repeatedly what Max Holloway did that night in January of 2021, I believe, single greatest individual performance I've ever seen in the octagon. None of those records are ever going to be broken. For me, though, Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker, I think I said at the end of round two, that's one of the greatest rounds you'll ever see unless you like defense. For me, of all the UFC Apex fight nights, 
That was the most memorable main event for me. Mm -hmm. Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker going those hard 25 minutes. And um, I just remember acutely walking out of that arena that night in Vegas, feeling like we had witnessed something special. So forced to choose, I got to go Poirier Hooker. So here's what's here's what's crazy that 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 one was that one was high on my list. I'm going to stay with Dan Hooker, but I'm going to go with Felder. And 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 here and here was why I remember like leading up to the fight. I think uh, Paul was like, wasn't he training for like triathlon or or something else? He still does. (laughs) Yeah, that 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 he was that he was going to be doing, man. And obviously, it's the last time you know we got an opportunity to see him. But that fight and, and and much like Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker was just all guts. And it, and it was all guts. It, it was all toughness. And one of those nights that, you know, guys like myself who are, are former athletes who consider themselves tough, then realize they ain't that kind of tough. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm, I'm, you know, let's put the helmet on and have whistles and rules and stuff type of tough. That was different. That was two men who, one, showed a ton of respect for one another in the way that they approached the fight, but also gained respect from one another as the rounds went on. And I think those type of nights are epic from not only what we got, got to see in the octagon, but the stories of both men as it led up to the fight. You know, for me, it uh, it speaks to who Dan Hooker was, that he's on the list twice. And it yeah. does not matter what we see going forward. If Dan Hooker does not have the success he had before, we need to pay homage to who he was and the fun fights that he gave us. But I'm going with Max Holloway. As John said, it was the first ABC card, John. We should have had our yellow blazers. We really should have had our Wild World of Sports blazers on that weekend. But moment, chance missed. But one person that didn't miss was Max Holloway. That was the single greatest performance uh, we've ever seen at a UFC fight night. John, overall card, what is the card that stands out to you whenever you look back on all the great cards we have had on ESPN to this point? Well, this is going to sound simplistic because I went back and looked at all the fight cards and some of the depth and some of the highlights. But to me, there were a couple shows that stood out and they were the first few shows we did, right? When Henry Cejudo fought TJ Dillashaw, for me personally, the epicness of that night just being on ESPN is something that I will never forget. And then when your guy, Cain Velasquez, fought Francis Ngannou, you know, people forget that was the first show on big ESPN. Cain hadn't fought since UFC 200. And for a lot of us of a different era, cardio Cain Velasquez was the effing guy, you know? And here he is fighting, you know, Frankie Murder, as my guy Brian Petrie (laughs) likes to say, Francis Ngannou versus Cain Velasquez. At the time, it felt like the biggest heavyweight fight that I had ever called. Obviously, it ended for Kane unceremoniously 26 seconds later. But to me, that event, that main event, that card felt huge. So I will go in Ganu Velasquez, UFC on ESPN. So, you know, when you get on here with J.A., man, and J.A. starts bringing out history and you got to roll through things, you always feel like the newbie when some of the latest cards are your favorite. But I'm, I'm a story guy, right? And so we got Aspinall Volkov, and we had Tom Aspinall on the show, you know, during that week. And obviously, he finishes with a great submission. But on the same card, we had Patty Pimblett, right? And then we had we also had Meatball Molly, Molly. And we get to see Dan Hooker move down. We're all excited to watch him fight. And Arnold Allen absolutely goes crazy with a great finish. And that night was that night was full of excitement. It, it, it was full of, of of explosive finishes, but also getting to watch so many fighters fight in front of their home crowd. To me, that was, that was a great move 
by the UFC, by, by Dana White, to say, if we put Tom Aspinall in Jacksonville, Florida, yeah, it's okay wow. when, he, <laughs> when he walks out. You know what I mean? Even a, a Patty Pimblett or a Meatball Molly, Molly McCann. But when you put them across the pond in front of their people and we get to see Patty win with Molly in the octagon with him, I think the visuals of that night are something that, that, that are stuck in my brain that I remember. You know, for me, it's going to be Covington versus Tyron Woodley. Because not mm. only did you have those two guys fight, you also had Chamaya, you had Donald Cowboy Cerrone. It felt like a pay card that you got for free on ESPN. And the fights were fantastic. But it was a lot of names and names that now resonate so strongly within the mixed martial arts community. So when they're putting these cards together, that felt like one that already was made. You didn't go to find people to see and know them down the line. You went there for people that you already knew. So for me, Covington versus Woodley is the greatest event that I have been uh, a part. I've been watched the greatest event I've watched or have seen put on paper to this point in the UFC on ESPN era. John Anik, I wish we could keep you the entire show. I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to go back <laughs> living in that cushy house down in Florida. <laughs> Life's too good for this dude. This up 3-0. He's got a beautiful sauna in his bathroom. Now you should see the thing. Come this on. man here is living the life. J.A., thank you, my man, for your knowledge. Thank you for your friendship. And we appreciate your time. I love oh, man. You. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me on. And rest assured, if the Celtics are winning, you know I'm betting against them. I've lost a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money. <laughs> Ryan Clark, this dude's betting thing is the craziest. He bets against what he wants because if he loses the money, his team wins. He still wins the other side. Hey, I like yeah, it, man. Good. I ain't mad at you. John, thank, thank you, my boys. friend. Appreciate you. It's time for your favorite segment, DCRC and MC. MC. Taylor, what's up, baby? <laughs> Welcome back, man. What's up, boys? Glad to be back with you, man. Good to see you guys' face. Your yes, favorite sir. Oreos back on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Let's go. Let's go. Chandler, listen, my man. Finally, we're running up. First off, actually, like Ryan said before, congratulations on the new congrats, baby. Like, man. Before anything. The most Thank important you. thing is family and congratulations. Thank you. It is a huge blessing, man. It's uh, you know, Precarious timing right before a fight, but it's perfect, man. Filled up, filled up my cup, and I am ready to roll on May 7th. You know, man, on love May that. 7th, you will fight the former interim champion, Tony Ferguson. But today, Tony Ferguson um, is trying to work his way back into form, uh, opposed to Tony Ferguson that we have known for so long, the killer. Was this the right matchup for Michael Chandler right now? Considering in your first three fights, it's been... Uh, hooker, then for a title, and then the war that you had with Justin Gaethje. Was it the right time to kind of... It feels like a step back. Do you see it as that? Uh, I, I don't because, I mean, we're all, we are all governed by time and circumstance. You know, if you look at the division, a lot of guys are, are tied up. Um, you know, you got Poirier talking about going up to 170 fighting Diaz, Benil Dariush and Makachev are, are, uh, you know, scheduled to fight each other. You got Connor possibly coming back. Obviously we got the, the, the title fight with Gaethje and Oliveira happening on May 7th. So Tony Ferguson has always been a perennial top guy. You know, we're only a couple of years removed from that illustrious 12 fight win streak that he was yep. on when he looked unbeatable, possibly could have even beaten Khabib. There are a lot of people who were 
you know, picking him to beat Khabib. Would that have happened? We don't know because we never saw it. But, uh, man, I see Tony Ferguson as a guy who still is still extremely dangerous, um, still always performs well, even when he runs into the toughest guys in the division. That's what we're doing. And, you know, when you're fighting the toughest guys in the division, you're going to take losses. You know, you could beat mm-hmm. anybody on any given night and you can lose to any of, the, any of these guys on any given night. He's lost a couple, uh, but so have I. So I'm excited to go out there. I don't necessarily think it's a step back, um, but it's a it's a winnable fight. That's for darn sure. Well, you know, the last time, you know, we talked MC and we were just speaking about getting a win because you had had these epic fights to start your UFC career. But you've shown your toughness in your first three fights. And we've obviously seen a guy like Tony Ferguson, whether it's submissions or or, or, or straight up striking matches, show how tough he is being able to finish some of these fights. When you look at this fight from a technical and skill standpoint, what is it that you think you have to focus on to get the win and not necessarily just entertain and give us the war? It's a great question because you know, when you rewind back to the Justin Gaethje fight, listen, there's in mixed martial arts with four ounce gloves against the tough, some of the toughest strikers on the entire planet. Anybody can get caught uh, with a right hand, a left hook and, and get their lights put out. Mm-hmm. Justin Gaethje was somewhat predictable. We knew he was going to go out there and throw those punches and throw those leg kicks like like we have seen Justin Gaethje do for the last decade. Tony Ferguson, on the other hand, I think is even more of a tougher skill or a tougher puzzle to mm-hmm. uh to, to solve. You never know what right. Tony Ferguson is going to do. The man is a, a, a certified lunatic inside the cage and we love him because of it. So mm-hmm. there is nobody. I, I think I train in the best gym in the world with the best coaches in the world, but none of my training partners can emulate Tony Ferguson. Nobody right. can emulate Tony Ferguson. He is a certified one of one talent in mixed martial arts. And, uh, you know, I think I just got to go out there, put together a game plan, bite down on my mouthpiece, put pressure on him like I always do, manage the distance, be fast, be strong, be athletic, uh, and let my training take over, go out there, listen to my coaching staff. And I believe I go out there and I, I, w- I will be looking for a finish, but, but I will not be over uh, over exerting myself to get the mm-hmm. finish. You know, when you look at Tony Ferguson and you look at the diversity of his attacks, right? Imanari role, submissions, he's dance. He's, he's kind of dancing out there, right? When Ferguson gets into his flow, he's as difficult a puzzle as anyone to solve. With that being said, it feels as though the reason he is a bit, uh, has he struggled as of late is because everyone has kind of taken him out of his comfort zone. Oliveira did it immediately with the takedowns. We saw Justin Gaethje force him to stand. What's the approach that Michael Chandler takes this uh, next weekend to ensure that he never finds that flow state that makes him so dangerous. I think that's uh, that's something that I have focused on in the, in the last couple of years. I, I think, and, and I was telling one of my training partners the other day, listen, whenever, whenever certain guys stand in front of you, I know when I stand in front of my opponent, they think I am fast, I am strong, I am unpredictable, I am explosive. They don't know when I'm going to attack. So the goal is to prove them right. Keep them, keep them guessing at all times. You saw it with Dan Hooker constantly going to the body. He was thinking I was trying to take him down, thinking I was trying to take him down, come up with the left hand and knock him out. So I think a diversity of attack for myself while also staying basic, um, as well as composed and confident and smart and sharp. And uh, like you said, don't let Tony get into the flow and continue to continue to know that I have just a great cardio as Tony. I can push for 15 minutes hard. We've seen it now numerous times and uh, go out there and 
take him down if I want to take him down, beat him up on the ground if I want to beat him up on the ground. If the fight progresses and he gets back up and we stay on our feet or we stay on our feet for 15 minutes, I'm confident everywhere. And I have trained as such to be able to put myself in that kind of situation. MC, the, the one thing we know uh, about you is you weren't brought over to the UFC to be an also ran, right? You, you weren't a guy that was supposed to just be in the mix. We always expected, and as we've seen, expected you to be challenging for championships after having, you know, two really good fights, two really good showings, but losing two in a row. How much pressure do you feel going into this Tony Ferguson fight to keep yourself at the top of 155 with so many fighters now kind of gaining momentum? Like you said, Benil and, and Islam have to fight. Obviously, Justin and Charles will fight. To make sure you stay in that same conversation, how much pressure are you feeling to perform and get your hand raised at the end of the night? It's a good question because that is the most important part. You know, you can't, I can't sit here and tell you guys that I want to be UFC champion and then go out there and throw caution to the wind every single time and just, you know, smile with blood running down my face and enjoy the moment. Uh, mm -hmm. The good thing is I have that gene inside of me and that's something that can't be taught. You can't teach heart. You can't teach toughness. You can't teach grit. And I have that in droves. So I know I can trust myself when the going gets tough and you're down deep in the valley in the middle of those fights, I know I can pull it out and continue to fight extremely hard. With that being said, the easiest, easiest path to victory for me is to stay, stay smart and sharp and get my hand raised, you know, be willing to uh, disengage, be willing to mm. be willing to negotiate these different ex exchanges uh, with a little bit more of a veteranship with a little bit more of a, a uh, head on my shoulders instead of just kind of the the beast that is inside of me. And uh, I think Tony Ferguson is the perfect opponent for that. Um, because ultimately I told all the UFC fans and everybody that I wanted to come over and become champion. I do believe right. I will become UFC champion, uh, but it's going to take some wins. And I think Tony, per Tony Ferguson is the, the perfect opponent to get back on the winning track. And then after that, you know, Dude. there's all kinds of different circumstances that could happen. Everybody wants to see me rematch Justin Gaethje. Every, everybody wants to see me rematch Charles Oliveira. So we'll see where the, where the cards fall. The reality is <laughs> my boy Chandler needs a dub. Chandler, you need a dub. And I'm not even just talking about the octagon because the last time you and I were on, I put a SmackDown. Oh, run. my God. Did you see the SmackDown I put on this dude? Dude, needs a dub. Dude. Oh, need a dub. Hey, you know, I just watched your, your check-in with Justin Gaethje yeah. with the golf. And I number one, I appreciate how many times you were asking him about me. And he kind of, you know, Threw me off to the side Dude, a little bit here. Dude, he's the spaciest human being. Because, yeah. <laughs> hey, because here's what happens, man. No, nobody, nobody knows the power of Daniel Cormier's constant questions. You know, he never takes, <laughs> he never takes off the inquisitive hat. So Justin's just trying to go out there, whack some beers and whack some balls. And he sees in his ear asking about his life goals and I his opponents know, and all man. kind of stuff. <laughs> and... <laughs> Cheating and stealing money and, and moving the goalposts and changing the what rules and all that. I said, he definitely does that. Hey, he God, definitely God, does God. that. He's a cheater, bro. Gaethje beat you by 326 strokes and he <laughs> and still lost $200. And yeah. lost the money so long. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Chandler, this, but no, Chandler, be honest. When you and I were on DC and RC and MC, as we like to call mm -hmm. it now, right. and you were there, right? When you were there, 
I I was the one that played against you, but I also judged the competition, right? I was the one judging the competition. Exactly, dude. <laughs> the deck, hey, it's the fox guard in the hen house, man. The deck is stacked stacked against everybody when you're going against DC. Every but that's why time. we love him. It's secretly that's why we love him. <laughs> My man, Michael Chandler, bro. Every single time you come on, we love it, dude. Like we love having you yes, on. Sir. You are a part of the family, and we cannot wait until you get. Uh, through this fight, and then come back and visit us on the other side. Yes, Hopefully, sir. Hopefully, Michael Chandler, it's on the other side with a victory. Uh, as you said, you're ready to fight much more smart than you have been fun recently. Yes, sir. And I'll see you. Uh, I'm building that brand new studio in my backyard, so I'm going to have that, dude, that bad dog the, ready. The studio, that studio is absolutely... I need to move to South Carolina or wherever you're living. <laughs> Bro, wherever you're living, you are getting a lot for your money right hey, now. Man, that's right. That's right. We're working on it, man. Just building dreams. My man, Michael Chandler. Thank you so yes. much for joining us, my friend. Yes, sir. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. Have a good one, my man. Appreciate you, bro. Is that time, time. RC? RC, is that time? It's that time. It's time to tap in. It's time to tap in. Where is the massive corporate Jake? The first time I laid eyes on Jake, I thought it was Andre the Giant. I was like, oh, my goodness. Look how big he is. Hello, gentlemen. All right. Dustin Poirier continues to take to social media to proclaim that he wants to fight. This weekend, top welterweight contender Gilbert Burns responded and said he would welcome Poirier to the division. So DC, tap in or tap out on Poirier moving up to 170 and taking on Gilbert Burns. I tap in. I tap in because I want to see Dustin fight. He's fun. Um, but Gilbert Burns in the first fight, like that's a bit, that's a bit much if he's going up to fight a dude like that who literally just showed a couple weeks ago that he can withstand the power of a Chemayev who has fought and knocked guys out at 185. So I believe that going up, yes. For that fight, though, I don't know, Ryan, because the thing that makes Dustin so impressive is his power. But if you can stand up to Chemayev, why wouldn't you be able to stand up to the power of Dustin Poirier? Tap well, it on the weight, not the matchup. Well, here's why I tap in. I tap in on both. DC, we can't be living for the future, bro. It's about the present. And if you're Dustin Poirier, <laughs> you gonna move up to 170 to fight number 10? Like, come on, DC. Like, you, <laughs> you move up to 170, you gotta fight somebody. So think about it. You, you're not gonna jump up. You, so, you, so you jump up and fight Kobe, right? Do, no, do, do you jump up and fight Kobe. Leon, right? Do, you, do, 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 right? do you jump up and fight Chemayev? Like, Gilbert is... Gilbert is right there in that place where he's like, I'm willing to fight anybody. And what we've seen is he's also willing to just stand and strike. We saw it with Kamaru. We saw it with um, with Shemaev. And so I think that's a fight for Dustin that you move. It's kind of a win-win too, right? Yeah. You move up to 170 and you lose that fight. They're going to be like, oh, you fought somebody who's now been <laughs> a 170 pounder for a good bit of time. He's fought some of the best in the world at 170. You go out there, you give us a war, you give us a great fight. You give us a great fight. We good. And if he loses, I don't like it. Now I I don't like my answer. You're convincing me. Now I don't like my answer again. You're convincing me a little bit. Listen to Ah. your boy, DC. (laughs) You're convincing me. You get too good at this. Let's move on, man. All right. All right. Joe Rogan, while on Mike Tyson's hot boxing podcast, said that Connor needs a tune up fight. Once he returns, rather than going right into a championship level fight. So, RC, tap in or tap out on a tune up bout for Connor rather than an immediate title shot? Um, I tap in on a tune up fight as a fan of Connor. I tap out on a tune up fight in the sense of is it the best thing for the promotion? And, and here's why I say that 
Um, I tap in on it because like on him having a tune up fight, because I think jumping up to now, you think Dustin fighting Burns is crazy jumping <laughs> up to 170. That other fight would be totally just absolutely a lunatic would have to win that fight, which Connor is when we talk Kamaru. about. Yeah, well, against Kamara, which we talk about his his obsession with and confidence in himself. But if you make him fight 170, like we have to remember, this is the guy that lost to Nathan Diaz as well at 170. And so if you put him in there, you're not going to give him number seven. You're not going to give him number eight at 170. And so what if he loses that fight? What if it's something where a guy can take him out of his skill set and make him fight on his terms? And so for the promotion, it's just not smart. For the promotion, you jump, he jumps in and he fights Kamara, whether he wins or loses, it's great for everybody. Whereas you let him fight a lesser guy. And if he doesn't come out on top in that, you've now taken more of the luster off of Conor McGregor and it hurts you as a promotion. I, I tap in. I tap in on the tune-up fight because honestly, Ryan, we have seen uh, Conor in a tune-up fight before when he fought Cowboy Cerrone. That was about as tune-up a fight as it can be. I understand that people don't like seeing that Cowboy's a tune-up, but at this point in his career, that was a tune-up fight. It lasted 40 seconds, but it still sold a million pay-per-view buys. So it doesn't hurt to put Connor in there with someone that has a name that may not be as dangerous to beat him right now. So, yes, I absolutely tap in on I absolutely tap in on Connor needing a tune-up. It just has to be the right name right. for that tune-up fight that would allow for the company to still sell a boatload of pay-per-views and Connor to look good enough to warrant that next fight that is massive because that's exactly what happened with Cowboy. He beat up on Cowboy really quickly, and then he found himself fighting against uh, uh, he found himself fighting against Dustin Poirier. Or Dustin Poirier. I'm not exactly sure which one that was, but he looked good enough to warrant. It was Poirier. It, uh, to, you know that next big fight against Dustin Poirier. So uh, tapping in on that one for sure uh, for the tune-up fight for Mike uh, for Conor McGregor, as Joe Rogan said on Mike Tyson's podcast. Mike Tyson, who by the way. Beat the absolute crap out of somebody, <laughs> right? I mean, that dude deserved it though. That dude, I, uh, that dude should have left. You think you bro, see this fool? This bro, here's Mike thing. Tyson. Why like, Mike Tyson, bro? Mike Tyson, bro. Let me tell you Come something. Come on, bro. We did it. I did a thing with Mike Tyson for the Super Bowl, and Brandon Marshall kept messing around. I thought Mike Tyson was gonna beat him up. I was like, dog, <laughs> y'all, you cannot mess with Mike Tyson too much because eventually he gonna flip off, and that's yeah, exactly dog. what happened last week. Dude kept messing with Mike, and then Mike beat his ass. But then the reality that's is his fault. Though, that is his. That's the bro, other it's dude's his fault. fault. Leave people alone, Ryan. Like yep. that's the point. Everybody's agree, so comfortable with everybody now that they, there's no danger. You, you Mike Tyson like said having it. that dog in your front yard that says "Beware of the dog." Like don't go yes. in the front yard, bro. Here's the other thing, though. If I'm the flight attendant, if I'm <laughs> the flight attendant, the first thing I tell that little dude, say, "Bro, chill out. Chill. I'm gonna kick you off the plane." And yep. kicking you off the plane is actually better than what's going to happen to you. Yes. But today's been today's been another great show, bro. Yep. Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, you have J.A., you get uh, you get MC, Teddy Atlas. Like this was yeah. this was like I didn't even have to listen to you that much today, which makes it an even better show, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but hey, guess what? I'll see you. I'll see you in two weeks, my guy. Yep, we'll yep, be in yep. Phoenix together. Hopefully, they'll let us do a little bit of TV on some ABC, on some ESPN. Oh, they, but hey, I'm trust right. me, they're going to put us to work. 
We don't get to go. You don't get to just go and watch the fight. You go into work. <laughs> <laughs> we work for ESPN. You are going to work. <laughs> hey, I ain't even mad, man. Listen, I'm RC. That's my dog, DC. We appreciate y'all tuning in. Catch us wherever you can get your podcast. Subscribe, like. We love you. We thank you for all the support. We'll see you next week.